Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Back Room. I'm Andy Ostroy. I'm very excited for today's conversation with New York's Lieutenant Governor Antonio Delgado. But first, thank you for tuning in today. We appreciate you listening, and we'd love to hear your comments. So email us at backroomandy at gmail.com and or post on our social media, and we'll read some feedback next time. And if you like the podcast, please follow or subscribe, and you'll be notified every time we post a new episode. It's time for New York's Lieutenant Governor Antonio Delgado. He was appointed in May of 2022 and then elected for a full term in November 22. He previously served in the U.S. House of Representatives, serving New York's 19th Congressional District. He played basketball at Colgate, is a Rhodes Scholar, and a graduate of Harvard Law School. He spent five years pursuing a career as a hip-hop artist in L.A., and then went on to work as an attorney, focusing on complex litigation with pro bono work in criminal justice reform. As lieutenant governor of New York, he serves as chair of the Hate and Bias Prevention Unit, oversees the Regional Economic Development Council, and is committed to empowering New York communities through civic engagement. Lieutenant Governor, welcome into the back room. You're actually in the back room, and you're actually a very tall man in a very small room. All true. And a great metaphor, I think, for your political career. Oh, that's pretty kind. <laughs> so quickly, before we get into the news of the day and what's happening in New York, I, I want to say you played basketball, you had a, a, a stint in the music business, but then you ended up in politics. What happened? That's not as exciting as the first two. Yeah. Well, it's pretty exciting. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think my diverse experiences, you know, from the basketball to the music to being a lawyer to growing up, you know, the working class family. I think all of those uh, experiences gave me the sense that one, I, I felt very fortunate, and and two, that um, my perspective uh, is, you know, made up of so many different entry points uh, that in the time of such divisiveness, um, there might be a role for me to play. You know, in terms of being a unified voice, uh, and a voice that can connect people in a meaningful way, and I felt a responsibility to jump in the mix, uh, despite you know the challenges and uh, the dynamics at play. It is a difficult lifestyle to say the least, but it is a worthwhile endeavor as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. And so you left Congress to become Lieutenant Governor. And my first question that I wanna ask you is, you, like everyone else, you're watching what's going on in Washington. You see the chaos in the house. It's a complete, utter dumpster fire. There was no speaker for three weeks. There was no legislating, no governing taking place. And you probably were watching that thinking, man, I miss that place. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> I did, was not thinking that. Uh, you know, what I was thinking is it's a shame. It's a shame that we have gotten to the point of this level of dysfunction. I can think of no other professional space where the individuals who are responsible for managing that space, executing it, elevating it for the betterment of their clients, shareholders, the public, you name it, are in a position where they can um, decide we, we don't know how to function and then go back home in front of whoever they are meant to represent and act like nothing is happening. And um, it's a travesty. And the level of extremism uh, on the right uh, that is undermining that process is alarming. It is very alarming. And it is something that I think speaks to the way a lot of our congressional seats are being drawn. They're being drawn in such a way as 
we're only getting folks who come from the most extreme elements. And so they have to one up each other and you get a growing type of elected official uh, that used to be a real outlier in the body politic and now is being normalized within the halls of Congress. And what we're experiencing, what we're seeing is the result of that. And how do you think all of this is going to play out next November? You know, we have a, a thin majority from the Republicans. They were supposed to get 40 to 60 seats. They only ended up with about four. There's nothing been happening in terms of what they promised and delivered in the last 12 months. It only looks like, especially now with Speaker MAGA Mike Johnson, that the next 12 months are going to be even more chaotic. How long he's going to last is a big question. Mm -hmm. You have a situation in New York where there were a lot of seats that were lost Absolutely. to Republicans that may look like they're attainable. Uh, Indeed. Where do you think this is going to go next year? Do you think voters, independent voters, the folks in the middle, the ones that we really need, do you think they're paying attention? I'm not sure if they're paying attention right now in this exact moment. You know, although we do have local elections coming up um, and, you know, I think we should always encourage folks to get out and, and engage and participate at, in every election. Uh, and so, you know, as we gear up for mayoral races, county exec races, judge races, um, you know, I, I would definitely encourage folks to make sure that they, they show up uh, and, and vote in November. I think as we move into the next year, and it is going to be incumbent upon those who are running in these um, swing seats, whether it's in 17, whether it's in uh, 19, uh, 22, you know, the seats on Long Island, we, um, we need to be showing, showing up and, and talking about what has been done, uh, whether it's the infrastructure bill that happened, whether it's the CHIPS Act, um, whether it's the fact that these investments now are actually working themselves through and really benefiting, especially folks in, in New York and being very connected to the communities and reminding them that this is one path and what you've experienced with this new leadership in the house is nothing. You, you can't point to a single thing um, that they have initiated, that they have put forth in an effort to help working families. Um, and so you have to speak to what, we, what we've accomplished, but then contrast it with well, what hasn't happened on the other side. And I think if we do that and we show up and we speak with a clear vision, um, then I think we'll, folks will start paying attention. Um, and it, we just have to make sure that when they start paying attention, we know what we want to say. Mm -hmm. Well, the messaging is certainly incredibly important. And it seems like we're hung up these days on pejoratives, things like Biden's age. We're hung up on Bidenomics. You know, yesterday the GDP numbers came out and we were at almost 5%. When I look at Bidenomics, I see it working really well. I mean, there's record job growth. GDP numbers are very strong. The unemployment rate is way down. Inflation came down from nine plus to around 3%. How do we get around this messaging issue, which is the country is in a really good place for the most part. And Biden is doing a great job domestically and abroad in terms of leadership. It yet somehow his numbers are down. I think it's, um, I think it boils down to, in many respects, the the way in which society has been fragmented and siloed. And President Obama alluded to this in his recent essay 
on the conflict in the Middle East. You know, he, he ran through a bunch of different things that we should be trying to, to improve upon. But the most important, and I agree, is the way in which our society has um, really grown more rigid and intolerant of just dialogue that could be, you know, uh, diverse in, in perspective. And we've everybody has echo chambers now. So you can roll out all your numbers, right? And you can say X, Y, and Z, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that information is getting into someone else's echo chamber. And even the folks who are processing that information and aware of it, they're also getting inputs that, you know, reinforce whatever their worldview is. And so you just have this, you know, these concentrated echo chambers over time. And then you get so-called leaders who emerge and they see this development and they say, how do I exploit that rather than make it my business to walk around and pop these bubbles and try to figure out how to let folks in these different bubbles see themselves in each other. Very hard, very difficult. But I think there's a general malaise around that. And there's a general malaise around the fact that we, we're still struggling to figure out where we're going in a unified fashion. The damage that's been done over the last, you know, 10, 15 years, right? Going back to 2016, I guess, right? Where what was unleashed was a, a, a sort of, you know, collective hostility. And, and it wasn't about what the future was. It was more about protecting something. And, and it wasn't about enabling something. And we've been on that track ever since, and we haven't been able to get our footing as a country. And so as a result, it's very, very difficult for the facts to really matter. It's really, really difficult for even the truth to matter. And it's more incumbent now than ever that leaders emerge, like real leaders, not people who just try to exploit the situation for their own power. And so I would just encourage the folks out there who really give a damn, the elected officials who really, really care to show it, to actually like show it. And don't play around with people's feelings. Speak truth. Be clear-eyed. And make people feel that you care. Because I don't think most people are really hearing what people are saying. They want to know. They want to feel that you actually give a damn about them. And, and sometimes I feel like Democrats, we get too caught up in trying to, well, we have this and we've done that and we've done this, but we don't see the bigger picture. We, we're focusing on the forest and we're saying, okay, look at that tree, look at that tree, look at that tree. But let's look at the forest, the contours of the forest. Is it healthy? Do people feel good, generally speaking, or are we lost in the wilderness? I think right now people don't feel there's a way out of the forest. Right. And that's why I think the Democrats have had a problem for years now with the working class. I mean, the fact that the working class typically now votes Republican is kind of crazy. Well, the messaging around that has been rendered secondary. It just has been. We have dropped the ball. I think we've gotten better, but we have to, that needs to be the centerpiece of how, how we message. The story of upward mobility must always be front and center in how we communicate. That needs to be the central issue and everything else can circle around it. But if you start with every single person, no matter where you start, no matter your religion, your sexual orientation, Whatever the case might be, we're all about empowerment and working your way up and, you know, 
figuring out who you are through economic growth. And my family lived that. Other families have lived that in generations past. And that's slipping away. The idea that you can work your way up, that you can not be trapped by your conditions. It's actually moving in the opposite direction. And if we don't speak to that directly, right, you look at the growing inequality in our system, concentrated wealth, working poor, the fastest growing class in the country. These are facts. And so we can point to inflation numbers going down. We can talk about unemployment. Okay, unemployment numbers are, are, are good, relatively speaking. But what about the actual jobs? And how many jobs are people needing to work to survive, to pay their rent, to cover their health care, to make sure the kids can go to a safe school and get proper education? So sometimes you got to be willing. And it's not always easy because, you know, the numbers are good and, and they're helpful. But you got to be able to tap into the pain that people are feeling. And that pain can materialize in different ways. It can be anger, right, which there's a whole market now out there. I know you're feeling pain. I know you're angry. I'm going to tap into that because it's going to benefit me. But there's also a pain that emerges that's more about where's the compassion? Do you see me? I, I just want to be heard and seen. You know, make me feel okay that you listen and you want to help. And I feel like that's the messaging. And I feel like you got to almost be built that way. Do you feel like on a governing level with getting things done and then also about the siloing and the tribalism you talked about before, is it different on a national level than what you're finding now on a state level? Well, you also got to keep in mind that in the state, I moved from, well, in Congress, I was in the legislative branch. So even the thinking about how you orient yourself is different once you go into the executive. So that's been an adjustment because I think even more so from the executive standpoint, you, know, you need to really be thinking about the vision and the forest. You really got to understand how all the pieces fit together. I would say in terms of the actual um, dynamics nationally, I think that is vary from state to state. In DC, right, you're talking about really a two-party system. And this is where the two parties come together on this playing field and compete for the hearts and minds of the American public. Depending on the state you are, in our case in New York, we don't, it's Democrats who are more or less in charge, right, of the state of New York. We have super majorities, right? And so the, the key is to figure out, you know, what it means in, in that environment to get unity, what it means in that environment to instill confidence in New Yorkers. So it's a different... It's well, that's a, what you did when you ran for Congress. You appealed not just to the obvious crowd, but you appealed to people across the aisle, independents, what, and won a very difficult race in an upstate district that, to some people, looked like it shouldn't have been won by a Democrat. Right. And, and I think that's the other piece to this. People think of New York, and especially folks who don't live in New York or you know only visited you know, to go to New York City, for mm -hmm. example, and they don't appreciate that it's a massive state with you know just an abundance of... Uh, of beauty and and just diverse communities. And you go throughout different parts of the state and you know, you're gonna get different political points of view. And in my old congressional district, you're right, it was a third independent, a third Democrat, a third Republican. Trump won it mm -hmm. by seven points mm -hmm. uh, in 2016. Uh, and it's very rural, a lot of farmland, 5,000 small family owned farms, you know, the eighth most rural seat in the entire country out of 435. And so yes, a lot of people didn't expect a candidate of color um, with a hip hop album, you know, to be able to you know, effectively find the right messaging to connect with people. But again, I go back to if you show up and you genuinely lead with your heart and you 
make it plain to people that you actually care about them, that they know your heart's in the right place. Because people are so disillusioned and they're right to write you off, rightfully so in most cases. Mm -hmm. And so the moment they get a feel for, oh wait, this, this feels a little different than what I'm accustomed to. Then even the differences, the political differences get kind of put to the background, at least for a bit that creates that opportunity for a genuine human to human conversation. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, that's how you, that is how you, I think, find those opportunities to win over hearts and minds, irrespective of party affiliation. And I stand on that, knowing that it's always possible because we were able to do it twice. You know, we were able to win in counties that Trump won by double digits. We won those same counties when right. I ran again my, mm -hmm. for my second term. And it's because we were able to make those relationships in a, on a human level. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the... Um hate and bias prevention unit, which you are chairman of. Obviously, yes. this is something that's very important today, given what's going on in the Middle East, the war with uh, Israel and Hamas. It's uh, evoked a lot of passion and anger on all sides. And we see a rise in anti-Semitism. We see a rise in hate crimes. Talk to me a little bit about uh, the work there. Yeah. So the governor uh, created the hate and bias prevention unit, which is housed under the Division of Human Rights. The objective of the Hate and Bias Prevention Unit, which I am the chairman of, is to first create regionally-based councils. There's 10 of them all throughout the state. And then you get individuals who volunteer their time and their experience and their know-how, advocates in different spaces, whether it's the LGBTQ plus community, whether it's the Jewish community, the Muslim community, you name it, but a diverse set of actors on the ground tied to those communities who come together and meet in a proactive way to figure out how to do community-based programming, uh, community dialogue, you know, and be responsive to any types of incidents of hate and bias. So rather than just being reactive to situations, mm -hmm. create the right climate where we can be more tolerant of each other, more respectful of each other, and have real dialogue. And so we've rolled out all these councils. They begin to do programming. They each have their own mission. Uh, we just released a hotline, um, one eight four four no 2 hate so N-O number two, hate, uh, for folks to call in if they're experiencing incidents of hate. Uh, so very proud of that. We're going to keep engaging with the councils. And I just want to say the, this is all tied to the disconnect too and the loneliness epidemic that folks are experiencing post-COVID. The more we get disconnected and have been isolated because of COVID, but also because of the social media dynamic, the more space there grows for intolerance, right? The more space there grows for mm -hmm. hate and for ignorance. And so I feel very fortunate to be in a position where I can carry the mantle there and do what I can to both connect individuals to each other and connect communities, but also speak about love and the power of love in a very, you know, forthright way. I don't think that word gets used often enough in politics. We hear hate, 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 hate all the time in politics, but you don't hear love enough in politics. So if one can make its way through politics, why can't the other one have just as much a prominent, if not more prominent role in our public discourse? Given what's going on in the Middle East right now, are you seeing more calls, more resources being utilized, people expressing concern, fear because of the rise in anti-Semitism? There's certainly been a heightened uh, fear around anti-Semitism. Um, listen, my, you know, you know, personally, my wife, mm -hmm black and Jewish, our kids um, are Jewish. And so there's a personal connection to that as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I, she walked them 
uh, to school once one day when I was moving around the state. Uh, it was the, the day, I think, of the, the day of jihad. It was very early on, post uh, the, the conflict, once it emerged. And, you know, she told me she could feel the fear in the air um, when she walked into school. Just the sense of, like, something's off. And, and you know, you track social media, you see what's going on. Um, there's definitely, and we've done what we can at the state level to meet those concerns. You know, we've bumped up, you know, state police in certain communities around certain institutions, synagogues yeshivas, community mm -hmm. centers. Um, so there's, there's, there's no question that I think there's been a heightened sense, but I would also say that it's across the board. I mean, you're seeing it in, in other ways as well. You know, there's been, uh, assaults on, you know, uh, our Muslim brothers and sisters too. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, we saw what happened to that, that little boy, um, you know, which was, uh, mm -hmm. which was tragic. Um, so, you know, the thing I try to stress to people is hate in any form is what we need to really be out front. Um, but we also need to be intentional about, you know, putting a finger on these different forms mm -hmm. because these forms have histories, right? And they, and they manifest in different ways. And we can't, we need to be very cognizant of that and be able to have honest conversations about what that looks like and what it feels like. Um, because it's a, it's, it's a real phenomenon in the world. And if you're going to address it, you need to be able to identify, see where it is and, and then do what you can, you know, to eradicate it. Right. And that, that's, you got to name it and, and you got to be able to, to then speak to it and, and hopefully eradicate it. My last question is, does the government have, the U S government have something similar that independent of states like New York is trying to accomplish the same things and even more so working with states like New York? Like, do you partner with the gov the federal government on any of this? Well, we partner with the government in the sense of tracking what's going on, mm -hmm. um, you know, on, on the internet and, you know, social media. I think there's more and more growing collaboration to figure out, okay, we want to spotlight, we're hearing chatter over here. We're seeing you know, folks saying this over there. So there's constant collaboration in that regard. But I think to your bigger point about, you know, collaborating around the units that have been charged with preventing hate and bias, it's a good question. And I can't say off the top of my head if there's any explicit, you know, obvious example of that level of coordination, as opposed to this, the tracking of what's going on and the sharing of information. Uh, I do think it would be important to have some kind of national campaign um, that is well-structured and put together with the right voices to be very intentional about recentering us in our moral compass. I think that's very important right now. I think our political systems have been rendered morally bankrupt. And in the absence of that direction, it's become nothing more than a power grab. And I think the collective, I think the body politic has actually come to not accept it, but knows full well that that's what it is mm -hmm. until shown otherwise. And so I think it's incumbent upon those of us who care about the system and government and democracy to show up and, and communicate that. No, 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 no. We, we, we're morally grounded here. We care about people. We care about your future. And it's not just about power. It's about people and it's about, you know, being together and, and fighting for each other.
irrespective yeah. of whatever our differences might be. You know, we're going to have differences. People. People are just afraid of other. That's the problem. Yes, that's a base mm -hmm. survival instinct. We are civilized. We are meant to be more than that. And the, there's a light in us that allows us to be more than that. That light is called love. That capacity to give of yourself for others, the capacity to sacrifice yourself for another. We have that capacity. That is our superpower. So we need to not forget that and actually embrace it, lift it up, cherish it. And I think real leaders make it their business to do that. Amen. Lieutenant Governor, I know you got to go help run a state. So thank you for true. coming in. <laughs> thank you for having me, sir. All right. Appreciate anytime. the conversation. This episode of The Back Room was edited and produced by me, Andy Ostroy. It was co-edited and co-produced by Maddie Rosenberg and co-produced by Jen Hamoud. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Hollander and our logo was designed by Cricket Langell. And special thanks to Patricia Wind. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast and also follow or subscribe. Until next time, keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards and have a great week. Thank you.